The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What does it mean to be present? To try and stay in the moment that you're in and not worry about the future or regret the past? It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. I'm Diane Ray, and I have always had questions about the big picture. God, life after death, spirituality, metaphysics, and what drives people to do what they do. And I like to ask them about it and learn from it. If you're a seeker like me, I hope you join me for some of these conversations on the podcast and be present with me in this moment. Thanks for joining me for the conversation today. So here's a question I think that all of us can relate to. What do you think it would feel like to not feel anxious, insecure, or powerless ever again? Wouldn't that feel pretty good? I think that would feel pretty good. How would your life change if you could erase all self-sabotaging patterns and beliefs? Well, we're going to try to tackle some of this today. This is a huge problem. I was just reading some stats on anxiety. And according to the National Institute of Mental Health, generalized anxiety disorder affects 6.8 million adults or 3.1% of the U.S. population. That's a lot. And only 43% are receiving any treatment for this. Women are twice as likely to be affected as men. And a lot of children are suffering from uh, anxiety and depression as well. We're just anxious. We're an anxious country, an anxious world. And today we're going to examine how we can take back control of our lives. My guest, Dr. Freeman Schaub, has been working with people for over 20 years, helping them to break through their emotional and mental blocks and unlock their potential. He's a physician specializing in cardiology and a molecular biologist, and he's helped thousands of people with his personal breakthrough and empowerment program. And he's helped them overcome their fear and anxiety by addressing the deeper subconscious root causes of these emotional challenges. And he's written a fascinating book that I've been spending some time with here. It's going to help a lot of people. The Empowerment Solution, Six Keys to Unlocking Your Full Potential with the Subconscious Mind. So welcome, Dr. Friedman. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I'm so glad you could join my my humble podcast here. I have to admit, I probably have a little anxiety (laughs) even talking to you about this because I I want to do a good job. And I know it's very important uh, for people to hear this this information. And what I thought was great as I started to read the book is that you come to this work through experience and you share that you suffered from low self-esteem and anxiety and obsessive compulsive behaviors from an early age un- until adulthood. I mean, that's a long time. 
I mean, what were those years like for you then? I mean, it must have just been a lot of confusion. Well, you know, the interesting, and we talked before the show about this, the interesting thing is when you have chronic anxiety, you you kind of take it as normal. You know, you have this undercurrent of anxiety, which spikes from time to time and gives you a panic attack, or I had certainly many, many, many sleepless nights. And the obsessive compulsive thoughts, they kind of stopped when I was a teenager. But uh, even that, you know, even there, maybe it was because while I was growing up and had anxiety, there was not so much talk about anxiety. In my mind, it was just like, okay, this is how I need to live. This is what I need to deal with. And, uh, and it wasn't until in my mid-20s that I had this onset of panic attacks about my work that I realized, okay, something is not right. I, I need to make a change. And that's when I started my journey on healing my anxiety. But before I, I lived with it, it was very uncomfortable but I thought that's just, you know, the burden I have to carry. And I'm sure a lot of people that are not in the statistics that you read are exactly feeling like me. They don't go to the doctor. They stay at home. They just white knuckle themselves through the anxiety. And it's too bad because it's not really an enjoyable way of existing. No, that's for sure. I was telling you as I was uh on your website, which I think everybody should go and, and see all the wonderful information there. I took your quiz. There's an anxiety quiz. And I was actually surprised at, I, I was higher on the scale than I would have thought. Cause I, I tend to think of myself as, you know, Oh, I'm the laid back one. I'm, I'm the one in my family that everybody kind of goes to when they're anxious. And I guess maybe I'm absorbing their anxiety as well. Uh, but it was kind of eye-opening. I'm like, hmm, maybe I should spend a, a little more time paying attention to this. But you must be really busy because I think overall, especially coming out of the collective experience we've all been in with the pandemic, people are more anxious than ever, right? I mean, it's yeah, the level's high. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, anxiety in the last 10 years has really increased dramatically. And and I think what what concerns me the most is that among the young people, anxiety got so much worse than before and uh, that really so many young people write me that they are not only anxious about you know the the life ahead the tests what job to take they're actually afraid of getting old with 15 16 17 there is this fear of what if i'm living a life and all of a sudden i realize i'm old like my parents and the whole thing was for nothing i mean it's uh, there is this anxiety, and it leads easily to depression that so many young people are dealing with. And yeah, it's a concern. And I think there are solutions there, but it's definitely a concern, a wake-up call that we have not only as a nation, but I think globally to face. It should be a big wake-up call. And I think back to even when I was in, in high school in the 80s, and I I certainly didn't worry too much about anything, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, the next Van Halen concert or something like that. Not like what kids are worried about today with the, you know, advent of social media, you know, we never had all of our mistakes and foibles and things in, in our face or for all of our friends to see, which is one thing I think causing so much anxiety and just the, the state of, of the world that young people are in now, you know, worried about hiding under their desks because someone's going to come in with a gun. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that would happen when I was in school. So there, there's a lot 
out there for people to manage. And luckily there's people like you that are available to, to help us, you know, through all of this. I mean, as I was reading, you know, you brought up um, anxiety and people worried that it's genetic. And I look at my family and I came from a line of worriers. Like my mother would worried about everything. I mean, now that I look back, I think that's probably, probably was a lot of anxiety. My, my siblings are anxious. Do we just, we learn this behavior or is some of it genetic? What do you think? I mean, science says 30% maybe genetic, but it's always difficult to distinguish between genetics, which means like what's, you know, in your genes versus what is epigenetic, which means that you even in the womb have learned that anxiety exists. And there are great uh, studies that showed that babies in the womb pick up on the mother's anxiety or trauma and their whole nervous system is affected by this throughout even their adulthood. So yes, it's both. But mainly I would say what's a much more empowering perspective is that we learn to be anxious and we learn it from our parents. We learn it from our peers. And uh, and often we are experiencing anxiety, you know, like in my case, it's a natural emotion. It's not something that, you know, only a few of us are feeling. It's everyone has anxiety, but often we are feeling it and we don't know what to do with it. Now, we don't learn in school. So when you have anxiety, you do X, Y, and Z. Not even our parents can teach us how to deal with anxiety. And so we learn to live with anxiety. And that's when we get into these patterns that are described in the Empowerment Solution the survival patterns where anxiety is the driving force in our life. And, and you mentioned about the young people or the world in general being a more scary place. I would say the scariest thing is not what's happening outside of us. Because you could argue, you know, my parents went to World War II. And I mean, there's a lot of scary stuff that happened there. I think what's really scary is that most people don't really know anymore who they are. It's like the young people don't know who they are supposed to be. It's uh, you know, they are not only young people, but when you look at the, the young people that have so many influences, you should be this and you should like this way and you should think this and you should be super cool and out there. And there is so much pressure. And then the parents and society that they don't have time to sit and figure themselves out. And I think that is a really scary place because you constantly feel disconnected from yourself. You, you don't really know what do you believe in? Who are you? What are your value system? What are your strength? Nothing of this. It's just like a ping ball pushed around. And unfortunately, that leads to anxiety that just makes us realize I am, you know, a feather in the wind and I don't really know where to feel any more grounded, let alone myself. And if you're not grounded, if you don't ask yourself those questions, then you tend to do other things that are bad for you to handle the anxiety where you self-medicate, you overeat, overshop, sex, you know, whatever you're doing to try to soothe yourself. And that just leads to so many other problems as well. Um, so I, I like what you're bringing up here in the book. And you also offer the idea that we have the power to make those changes. We're not just slaves to our DNA. And, you know, maybe I did have an, an anxious mother and grandmother, but I can use some of the techniques and strategies that you share in the book and I can make those changes and other people can too. 
Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, for me personally, my anxiety was a gift. If I had not my anxiety, you and I wouldn't talk. I would have never written this book. I would be stuck in Germany, still a cardiologist and feeling completely unhappy, probably overweight and dealing with two heart attacks myself because I wasn't really on my track that I was supposed to be. So I don't see anxiety as our enemy or our weakness. It can also very much be something internally that just is like a little blinking light that says, hey, you know, you're not totally in balance or you're not living really up to your potential or you're not really connected to yourself. And, and those are good questions to ask when we are anxious. Am I anxious because I'm my best self or I'm really holding myself back and I'm not really totally who I'm supposed to be? Right. I think that's so interesting that you had a whole career and trajectory as a cardiologist, you know, and did all of that study and, and schooling. And then you, you realized that that really wasn't what you wanted to do and, and made those changes. Well, it was definitely not. I mean, I never finished my residency because I really found out that this is, I mean, after six years, you really get that. No, this is not it because I like people. I like helping people. And I don't see people as numbers that you have to go from one to the next in six-minute uh, intervals. And there is no time to even talk. What's really going on? What is really on your heart? Why are you back? I thought everything is fine. So all those things that I always wondered, why do people not have more time? Why do doctors have not more time to talk about you know, more the emotional component of illness? That is, was one of the reasons why I wanted to leave. And that's one of the things anxiety told me. Yes, you can be successful, but you will be not satisfied. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. That's interesting that you say it, it can be a gift. Um, I don't know if I would think of it as such, but I, <laughs> I think you're right that it, it causes you to ask yourself some questions. But I wanted to ask you about the subconscious mind, because I think that's it's so interesting when you think about that, because really, we don't understand how much the subconscious mind affects our lives and what we do. And even when I was thinking about it, I wanted to ask you this, like I think of, you know, the subconscious mind is okay in the morning when I make my coffee or I'm just, I'm driving the car and I kind of get in that, you know, something else is taking over. I'm not really thinking it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and so that, that's really the sub, the subconscious mind is the, the part of us that kind of takes over sometimes. I mean, the subconscious is, pretty much doing 80% of the daily activities and only a small percentage is done by our conscious mind. I mean, all the, the normal maintenance work is subconscious, you know, whether you are, you know, going home, making a sandwich, eating in front of the TV, all of those things you pretty much do without thinking. 
when you're driving to work, as you mentioned, you may already be worried. So your conscious mind is very busy, but who's doing the driving? Who's stopping at the stop sign? So your subconscious is very powerful, but your subconscious also runs a system of protection, which is early in our lives. That's when it starts. And that's when it's the most important, because when we are little, we cannot really consciously think our way through problems or how to deal with abuse or neglect or in a disappointment. So the subconscious says, I'll help you. I'm going to be your nanny and I'm going to keep you safe. And so those are the patterns that are often driven by anxiety that I describe in the book. And the thing about the, the subconscious is it will be your nanny until you're telling your subconscious, I'll take over. So the subconscious needs our conscious input. Otherwise, it just keeps on going. And we know this. I mean, let's say, for example, you with your family. I mean, there may be patterns that you have since your childhood, but you never changed them. So there are these little triggers. Someone comes to you with a problem and you may be the first one who just says, of course, I'm going to help you. And that's a part of your pattern of in the book, I call it the helper pattern. I'm helping others. The problem is that it's subconscious because it makes you feel seen, safe. I mean, just making assumptions here or valued. But at the same time, if you are, like you described, maybe absorbing negativity or you're putting yourself last or you don't really you know, have boundaries, that pattern can also become a pattern that continues to create more anxiety. Just like people that feel if I don't get approval, I'm not worthy. So they always look for more approval from others, no matter how much approval they get. They never feel good enough because they became so dependent on the external approval that internally they still feel insecure. And those patterns are designed short term to keep us safe, but they're not designed to make us as adult thrive and be fulfilled. But we never learn how to work with the subconscious to replace those patterns. It's literally about rewriting our owner's manual. And we have to learn to do this. If not, we are living like children. You know, I know so many people that are super successful but as soon as they go into a social setting, they shrink to the size of a teenager. So they go to some meeting at work and, you know, it just drinks after. They stand in the corner. They don't talk to anyone because that's exactly how they felt, you know, at high school when they felt always like the outside of the wallflower. So the pattern of hiding out was never replaced. And whatever they feel confident in one context the other context brings up survival patterns. And so that's how we can also really not understand ourselves because we are feeling, well, I feel so good. And as soon as Friday night, happy hour comes, I'm feeling like a loser. What's going on with me? And, and those things just uh, are, again, these patterns that are good to, to get out of the blind spot area of our life and realize, yeah, that, that makes me miserable. That makes me insecure. I need to change that. And if we can get that awareness of, of those patterns, and I think I look at, I look for patterns all the time and I think family of origin stuff is so interesting. And I look back, you know, in, in my own, my own family, obviously, and I see patterns, but when you're working with someone who's really dealing with trauma and, and they have, you know, a memory that's, that's so horrific are, are they able to replace those memories? Like, like you say in the book, that's possible? See, I think trauma became a little bit of a buzzword. And unfortunately, it became also 
this generalized idea, well, you have trauma, so you probably are somewhat broken and who knows if you ever can recover from it. And I think that doesn't do justice to what we are capable of. We are designed to overcome trauma. I mean, you know, when you think back how many hundreds of thousands of years we have been living and and we had it pretty comfy compared to the Middle Ages or the times before. And we were having to overcome trauma all the time. So we know how to overcome trauma. The issue is not the trauma. The issue is that the trauma is confusion. We, on a subconscious level, have the big question, why? Why did this happen to me? How, why did this person do this for me? to me? How could I have it prevented? Is it my fault? And if we are able on a deep level to answer those confusing questions, we are no longer defined by what happened to us, but we are defining ourselves moving forward, what we do with it. And a lot of people that had trauma, I find, don't really see how they didn't become like the abusers. And they ignore the fact that they are actually the ones that are the kindest, the most compassionate, the most helpful, that they preserved all of those good aspects inside of themselves, despite having been abused or traumatized. And that win, just realizing, I'm okay. I, this little light inside of me didn't get extinguished. My goodness didn't get taken away from me. I'm actually better and bigger than the person who abused me that completely changes the perspective on oneself. And from then, you can more focus on what actually are your strengths versus what people did to you. Right. And you can take your power back. You describe in the book what I thought made so much sense was the survival loop that we find ourselves in with the the memory that we were just talking about becomes a belief that shapes our perception of reality. And then as a result, we lose our power, and then we get triggered, and it just kind of goes around and around, right? And then in your work, I guess you're trying to put a, a pattern interrupt. Is that right? It's a yeah, a pattern interrupt is a good word, which basically means that you. It's a little bit like when you have a dog, you know, who you just train, and the dog runs away whenever it sees a a bunny or another dog, and you just have to interrupt the pattern of wanting to run away. But that's only the beginning. The pattern interrupt makes your mind like, oh, whoa, you're not doing that. Then you have to actually change the pattern and you have to change the belief that drives the pattern. And basically the, the, the six keys that I'm describing in the empowerment solution are how you take a pattern that actually was supposed to protect you and you're turning it into a pattern that actually helps you to thrive. So you are reversing it. So you still have these aspects of you that, you know, want to protect you or want to, you know, please others, but you turn it around so that you actually feel more that all those things are about you living with greater joy and purpose versus just making it through another day. And those keys are, for example, the key of self-responsibility and you just talked about trauma, how many people feel victimized by their past and by the perpetrators of their past and self responsibility, there's a whole process in it that helps you to really look at the past more as a library, where there's all this information for you to grow from and learn from. And then you can choose to disentangle and let go of the people that you still felt trapped in. 
all of those things are coming from feeling passive and feeling victimized to being all of a sudden more the owner of your life and taking responsibility from how you want to live forward and not just living in the past backwards. And that in itself is very empowering because you realize nothing that happens to you needs to leave you trapped in what happened to you. You can always choose how to see it and how to respond to it. Now, this is not just intellectual, and that's why the subconscious is so important. If we only do it in our head, you know, we think ourselves through it, sounds all nice. For the subconscious, it has no meaning because the subconscious doesn't care about words. It cares about emotions. It cares about the images that make us see a new picture, a new perspective. So the language of the subconscious that's integrated in the book is really crucial to bring it to a deeper and much more lasting level. Because a lot of people know the right thing, but they still don't feel it. And they certainly don't live it. And that's why this, you know, so important to collaborate with the subconscious. And when people are able to successfully do that, a lot of times their physical problems will disappear because we're, we're holding those things in our bodies, right? Physically, we're feeling it. There are a few people that I uh, describe in the book that had physical issues, like one woman had uh, an autoimmune disease that didn't allow her to swallow anymore. And when she changed the pattern of being a helper and a pleaser of her mom, she actually was able to heal herself, even though doctors said that she had to live with a swallow tube for the rest of her life. So, you know, with the feeding tube. So they they basically didn't believe that it's possible. And, and she made it possible because the body and the mind, especially the subconscious, are very, very closely re related to each other. And it's so important to, to see that relationship as something that can be reversed in regards to the illness when we are addressing what really the message of the illness is and what you know the mind, the body want to tell us. And that it's not something that, again, is a malfunction and we cannot do anything. We are just a Monday lemon that uh, breaking apart sometimes. You know, we are much more capable, adaptable and dynamic than that. And that's what I had to unlearn from my medical training. You know, in medical school, you learn the opposite. You learn like humans are pretty much, you know, easily breaking down and they need doctors and and all the help they can get to somehow, you know, stay somewhat alive. And, and that's just not true. It's really, we are so capable and we are so potent, but we don't give ourselves credit and we're not spending enough time with ourselves. Well, that's good news to hear. Definitely. <laughs> we have more power than we give ourselves credit for. And I, and I think you're right. We are so much more resilient than, than we believe. I mean, when you look back, in history, I mean, people that have gone through, like, like you said, some you know horrible things—the the Holocaust, wars—and being able to tap into that resilience. But that's what you're teaching people, right? To really learn how to be resilient. I mean, could you take us through maybe you know a quick exercise, or is there a modality that you start people with that they they can work on? Like maybe something people could start doing at home, like a quick a visualization, or like what what would be the first steps you take with, with a patient? Well, I think for the book, the first thing that people want to do is to really be aware when they take their power away, when they give their power away. And that's really something that I had to learn from myself, because there are so many things that we do 
that make us feel something, but we're not paying attention. You know, so we are we're not really paying attention to how it feels when we go, for example, into the comfort zone of procrastination. So when it comes to procrastination, you know, many people maybe beat themselves up, but they are still doing it. But that's a survival pattern. And the survival pattern about procrastination is that we don't want to fail or we don't want to deal with discomfort. So it's much easier to clean the refrigerator or to watch a little bit something on Netflix than really taking care of the bills or the taxes. So one of the things that I uh, talk about is the importance of the word and that we cannot lie to ourselves because we do lie to ourselves when we say we're going to do it tomorrow and then we don't or we you know put all the stuff on our to-do list and then we know only a third will be done that's all lying and if somebody else would do this to us we would quickly lose trust in that person we would quickly say no I'm, i don't think that you really have my best interest in mind and so when you do the the awareness step of just knowing that there are certain things we do that we repeat over and over again that make us feel powerless. It's not that we don't have the power, but either we give the power away or we don't tap into our power. That awareness in itself makes you realize, I just can really dig deeper. A, find more power, and B, stop to let my power get out of my hands. So a simple exercise is where you imagine yourself having a scale and you have a scale where on the left side, you think about all the things where you give your power away, all the things where you maybe you worry or maybe you stress out because you have a deadline or maybe you think about, you know, the people that just called you and have complained about whatever and you took it on. So all where you lose your power and then you back on the left side, a list of all the things where you take your power back, where you make yourself feel good, where you think about, you know, maybe successes or where you asserted yourself, you will find out that that where I take my power back list is way smaller than the one where you give your power away. I would bet it's like 70, 30, maybe, if you would have it as a scale on a scale from 100. And if you want to just make that exercise, notice when you give it away, left side, right side, when you assert your power, then you know you need to read this book because this is a way for you to say, uh, if I'm going to turn this around, if I'm going to actually have 70% of my power and only give 30% out, I probably can turn my entire life around and at least I can feel much better about myself. Yes, that would be a great step. I mean, I hope a lot of people pick up this book because it's definitely, it's so needed to... Um, you know, have some happiness in life. I mean, life isn't meant to be a struggle, right? It shouldn't be a grind and drudgery and dread every day. And I think a, a lot of people definitely feel that. And you mentioned in the book, it was interesting what you had to say about forgiveness. And I was hoping you could share some of your thoughts on that, because I think that word is thrown around a lot and people have kind of a, a reaction, like I'm supposed to forgive this person or you know, they did this horrible thing to me. And I think it's, it can be very disempowering when they're trying to reach in and, and offer something that they're not really feeling, right? How, how can you work with that concept of forgiveness? 
Well, I mean, forgiveness is not forgetting. I think that's a concept that a lot of people have. Well, when I forgive, basically everything that happened to me is undone, and then I let them off the hook. That's not at all. What forgiveness is that you're giving away that bond that you have with the person that did you wrong by simply saying, I let go of being affected by this. I rather learn from what happened to me so that it doesn't happen again, or learn about my resilience, or learn how to be a better person by learning from the negative example, but I'm not feeling trapped any longer. What people don't understand about not forgiving is that they close themselves off. You know, when you're not forgiving, you're always on alert. You always have a little wall around you and you don't really let people get close. You don't really trust fully. But the also the downside is that when you wall yourself off to others, you also wall yourself off to yourself. You know, I just had a, a client that told me how she has such a hard time with compassion right now because she feels betrayed and hurt by what happened with her husband. And she just, you know, has walled herself off, but she also has no connection to herself. There is no connection to her own compassion for herself or any kind of, you know, hope or strength, all those beautiful things that we have in our heart. When we block our heart, it's not only blocked to the outside to protect ourselves, it's also blocked to ourselves. So you do not anyone a favor when you forgive. You only serve yourself because you're opening up to these inner resources again, and you can access them again. You certainly will not have any downside from forgiving because you reclaim your right to no longer be affected by whatever person did, which has usually nothing to do with you, and it has all to do with them. Right. That, ma that makes so much sense. And what can you do about kind of our generalized fear of the future? I mean, I, I find myself falling into that a lot where I'm worried about what's happening tomorrow or what isn't here yet. And actually, one of the reasons why I even call this podcast Be Present, the Diane Ray Show, because I'm always trying to bring myself back because I can only really control what's here. And I know that intellectually, but I still have that fear and I think a lot of people are fearing the future as well. How can we stop waiting for the shoe to drop or what's going to happen tomorrow? Well, in the book, I'm talking about a book that uh, has been written by interviewing people that were 80 plus years old and, and what they have as an advice for the younger people. And, uh, and the advice was pretty much from everybody don't worry too much. You know, people that were 90 years old said the, the, the greatest worry young people should have is a worry of regretting how much time they wasted worrying about something that probably never happens anyhow. And I think we have to really think about more that time is the only thing that we're going to run out of for sure. All the other things don't really matter so much. And we have to make the best out of time. So the way I stopped worrying about the future, and I definitely was a big worrier because I also was a big control freak myself, was to realize that my, my purpose here in life is not to control every outcome or to always feel like that I'm safe and secure. The biggest purpose is for me to be my best self. 
and to figure out how I can be that person. And for that, it's really good to notice that the worrying actually holds you back from taking risks, from stepping out of your comfort zone, from doing things that actually would make you a bigger and better version of yourself. And that is a responsibility that is on us. So we have to not use worrying as this excuse to keeping ourselves small, especially thinking about the world we're living in. We need to be our best self. We need to step it up and step out of just being comfortable in order to make this a better place. And I think that's something we we just have to remind ourselves. Being present is really, really important for that. But be present with yourself. Know who you are. Know what you're capable of. Know that there are desires inside of all of us that are not fulfilled. Ways that we can make a contribution that has not been made because we were too scared to be seen or to rock the boat or whatever the reasons are. And I don't think that we can allow this any longer for us to happen. So that's a regret that I want to make sure I won't have when I'm 90 years old. That's true. I don't want to have the regret of, oh, you know, I should have worked more. (laughs) (laughs) I missed the office. And I, I don't think anybody's on their their deathbed thinking that, you know, and it's it's good to remember. And we should probably talk to older people and ask them those questions. That's, yeah, that's, I think absolutely. that's important. You know, Re- reach and out. I feel like older people also still have an, a connection to life that sometimes we forget. You know, the, the thing about um, the secret to getting old is apparently really always feeling a certain sense of, responsibility for something you know whether it's for an animal or for a little garden or for a small gathering in the church community or whatever it is this involvement in life that keeps people alive and i think we are too much isolated on ourselves too much worried about our own little you know comfort and security that we are not really want to step out and make a difference and say, hey, how can I help? How can I step it up and say, you know, this person needs me or this cause is worthwhile? That's something I really think we have to do more of. And it feels so gratifying because you discover how capable you are rather than worrying about that something may happen to you. Right. That's so true. A lot of times we're only just worried about our own little, you know, not in my backyard kind of thing instead of the the collective. And that, that's a really good point. I mean, there's so much great wisdom in this book. You know, what are, what are your hopes now that it's out in the world? Do you want to, you want to cure anxiety completely? <laughs> no, I don't want to cure anxiety because anxiety is my friend. <laughs> now you were not totally convinced of it, but you have to see anxiety. You know, I always talk with people about, uh, you know, bad physical habits. You know, let's say you would have a habit of, uh, you know, just smoking too much. And then you would all of a sudden one day, you know, feel this pain in your chest. And then, you know, oh my God, I have a heart attack or lung cancer. And and so that pain would actually make you wake up and say, well, I have to, I guess, uh, stop smoking. And, and that's the same with anxiety. It wakes us up. It makes us aware of something out of balance. We just cannot get stuck in how bad it feels to be anxious. We have to ask deeper questions. What does the anxiety try to tell us? What is out of balance? Where does the anxiety get triggered? And what does it say 
about how I see myself in these situations. And so I don't want to cure anxiety, but I want to help people to use their anxiety to become the authentic leaders of their life, use their, their survival patterns to rewrite their owner's manual and realize I create my reality and I can re create the reality that makes me happy and fulfilled and not a reality that I feel like I have to settle into. Well, I like that. I feel inspired myself already. <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make friends with my anxiety and uh, not let not love, let myself go down the rabbit hole. And what you're doing is so important. How can people get in touch with you? I found out you have a podcast. I went on your website. Great information there. So that's probably the best place. Uh, tell people your site. Where can we send them? DrFriedman.com. It's spelled. I mean, I'm sure it's like somewhere in your caption there, but uh, it's spelled F-R-I-E-D-E-M-A-2-N.com. Often people forget the E. And I have a podcast. I'm on pretty much all social media uh, channels. And uh, I love to just share information. So I do one-on-one -on -one sessions. I also have an upcoming uh, From Anxiety to Empowerment seminar, which is coming up in late April. So that's going to be a great way to also work on the things I'm just talking about. But overall, just get informed and get empowered by knowing there is always more inside of you than you think. And you're always bigger than your problems. Well, Dr. Friedman, it's been so great to talk with you. And I will have all your links and links to the book in the show notes to the podcast here. And if you do like this podcast, which I hope you do, and these conversations that I'm having, you know, please uh, like, share, and follow wherever you get your podcast. And also check out the other amazing podcasters on mindbodyspirit.fm. We present a, a wonderful array of teachers, and hopefully you're out there listening and enjoying. And thank you so much, thank Dr. Friedman, for your work. I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. It was really a pleasure talking to you. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.